0: Listening Dog Media.
1: This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
2: The Offside Rule We Get It is brought to you by
1: Continental Tires.
0: Hello, thank you for downloading and listening. It's episode 14 of The Offside Rule We Get It, brought to you by Continental Tires, getting you to the game safely. It's Lindsay Hooper, joined by my two amigos. <laughs> Hayley McQueen to my right. Hariba, hello. And Kate Borsay to my left. Hello. <laughs> what, what sort of voice is that? I thought I thought I'd do geek as a bit of a salute to all the football geeks out there. Oh, and that, that's in timing with one of my favourite shows where they had a real geek off on first dates. Do you watch that? I have seen it, yeah, but I, it's not
2: something I tune into very often. I think I need to get myself on it. I was actually asked to be on it, wasn't I? You're all laughing at me. Were you? Yeah, they did a, a special one, one off for cancer charity. Someone said, "Oh, do you fancy comedy?
0: the one that Anthea Turner was on? Yes, that one." But I got Biff for Alexandra Burke. Yeah. <laughs> Genuinely, yeah. Um, So what we're going to talk about today, girls, is unlikely European adventures because I think with Leicester flying high at the moment and Chelsea rock bottom Mm. plummeting down the league... I think it's it's looking likely, isn't it, that the fourth Champions League place this season is going to go to someone new, someone else. So let's talk about unlikely European adventures. If Leicester could nick that, that would be a very unlikely European adventure. But let's go back in the past, look over recent examples um, of teams that have done well. I've got to say that Renovation Nation is obviously my topic for this week because all I've been doing is putting up shelves, taking down shelves, painting, not painting, tiling. Um, we won't go into all of that. But what we'll talk about in a football respect is using the word renovation for renovating Roy's England squad I think we should look at the starting 11 right now and if we could pick an England starting 11 who would we as a collective put in the side we'll chat that through also who
1: would be a pundit anyway this is partly why this podcast came to be isn't it Kate it is two very special pundits um decided to make a bit of a clanger, and it motivated us to make sure that girls have an opinion too, that we do know the offside rule, that that we can talk eloquently most of the time about football. Well, I thought,
0: to prompt this, that the recent exchange between John Terry and Robbie Savage, which has been quite interesting to follow. They're having a real pop at each other every every opportunity. Um, and John Terry said, you know, actually, you've not really played to a great level. I can't really take it from you. <laughs> Robbie Savage has hit back and I was just thinking about pundits. Uh, it just inspired me to think about ones that maybe we would drop if we could, pundits that we're not that keen on. And pundits- As in uh, drop from a very tall building. <laughs> maybe. Um, and as in pundits as well that we'd bring in or who we think will make a good pundit in the future. Um, also, I think we should have a quick chat because Hayley McQueen, you've been treading the red carpet for a film. I'm not talking Spectre James Bond, although I'm guessing that you'd like to go and see that.
2: Yeah, it's definitely on my list. But you saw... Ronaldo the film the movie where he mm. has to let us know that you know this is about my real life I'm, I'm not acting in this I'm, I'm not playing a character I'm just myself the great Cristiano Ronaldo so I was on the red carpet it was great fun it was good to see him again having worked with him for many Did years at United chat? no and I kind of should have just gone up to him and gone oh Cristiano and we would have probably had a chat but it was such a busy night he was there with all his family and his friends and there was a, you know a real buzz on the red carpet building up to the first ever screening of it and It was a great film, so they'd follow him with the cameras for 14 months, so just over a year. And you were supposed to have got a really insightful look into his life, where you kind of actually just discovered that he was a fairly lonely, self-obsessed person. Mm. But we kind of already knew that anyway. You got to know all of his family. His little boy, had his little boy not been in the film, there probably wouldn't be a film.
1: I cut a little promotional package for this at work, and his son is by far and away the biggest superstar in it. And the other thing that really surprised me... Apart from seeing
2: Messi and the the whole battle of the Ballon d'Or, it started just as he lost out on the Ballon d'Or and the film finished up with him winning the following year and showed you how important that was to him. No mention of a single teammate or friend in football that he'd made in his whole life. That's weird.
1: I don't think that they were able to get anywhere near the Real Madrid team and talk about La Decima. In fact, it sort of charted from kind of 2012, 2013 onwards. But my overriding feeling, having seen quite a bit of it, was what an unerring um, amount of faith Cristiano Ronaldo has in himself he determinedly has a huge ego throughout the whole thing and he doesn't shy away from it either, which I suppose is fair enough. But if anyone thought, perhaps it's a bit of a myth that this guy's got a huge ego, it's not.
2: Yeah. I think he's, his kind of whole thing is, well, if you're going to be the best, you've got to think that you're the best yeah. and he absolutely does and that's just mm-hmm. it and he's got everyone else telling him around him that he's the best apart from the kind of The messy thing, which raises its head every now and again, he has to go one better. And that was kind of the story that ran throughout that was quite interesting.
0: But apart from that, I thought it lacked in quite a lot. The female
2: take on football.
0: So we're going to start with unlikely European adventures um, what I want you to do is pick out a team that you think excelled in Europe, did well, wasn't expected to, where have they come from like a bolt out of the blue that could be Leicester City this time next year they might be in Europe um, so who, who have you chosen, you can be anybody from around around Europe um, it doesn't have to be an English team Haley, you're going to start us off Now I've gone for a Portuguese team SC Braga they got to the final in
2: 2010, 2010 And they're not really, I was going to call them a nothing team, but they're not really an anything team. That year, actually, Falcao of Porto scored the most goals of 17. SC Braga's highest goal scorer in the competition, even though they got to the final, was two. So the goals are kind of spread about. They were defensively very good. But in the Champions League, they got beaten by Arsenal 6-0. They were also beaten as well by Shakhtar 3-0. They did terribly. So when they dropped down, you were thinking, okay, this is a team that's not going to do too well. But there's a bit of a trend going. The year that a Portuguese side actually won the Europa League... There were two Portuguese sides in the final. In fact, three Portuguese sides in the semifinals. And what about the years when Spain have dominated? Well, 2011-12, sporting were the only team that wasn't Spanish that reached the semi-finals. And the same goes for when Chelsea did it as well. I remember when obviously Chelsea dropped down and then won it. <laughs>
1: you sounded really
2: scouse then. Chelsea dropped yeah. down and won it. Yeah, they did. Because <laughs> Newcastle... And Tottenham got through to the quarterfinals. So it's really weird that there's a bit of a trend going that the team that wins it each year, the country has kind of dominated for a little while. That was just
0: one one of my findings. One of the findings that I think is most clear from what you said, though, is when you say that they got beat 6-0 by Arsenal, then ended up in the final of the Europa League, that the gulf between (laughs) the Champions League
1: and the Europa League is huge. I'm going to talk about Art Media Bratislava. Now, I've got to just put in an apology. It is sort of nine or ten years ago now but I think this is a good story to tell
0: that's okay as long as it wasn't 80s
1: oh yeah no Um, because none of us were born in the 80s so why would we know anyway Um, so a Slovakian team were known as Art Media Bratislava they're now known as FC Petazelka Academia they've changed their name 17 times this team (gasps) in their history can you believe this and I'm talking about their biggest moment, qualifying for the group stages of the Champions League in 2005-2006. How did they get there? How did it all happen? Well, in the qualifying stages, they beat the Knights of Celtic, a match which Gordon Strachan said was out and out, the worst football night of his career so far. Uh, at the home leg, they beat Celtic 5-0. Celtic turned it around when they went to Celtic Park and beat them 4-0, but it wasn't enough for them to make it through to the group stages. So in that qualifying stage, not only did they beat Celtic, they made their way, through quite a few other teams as well and got to the group stages for the first ever time. In that group stage, they didn't do too badly either. They beat Partizan Belgrade. They also beat Porto in the Champions League group stages at 2005-2006 as well. Had they scored a goal in the return leg against Porto, they would have ditched Rangers out of the competition and made the last 16 of the Champions League. This is a small Slovakian team. I think they'd only qualified because they'd finished second in their league. It remains as I've said, the club's biggest ever achievement. What's happened in the years since then? Well, in 2010, they were relegated to uh, the Slovak 2nd Division. Two years later, a bit like Wolves this, it was the 3rd Division. But, but they didn't resurge back up through the leagues. Um, by 2014, this team, who nearly got to the final 16 of the Champions League, they were relegated to the lowest division in Slovakia, the 5th Division. So from scaling the heights of Champions League football, beating porto they're now playing to a capacity crowd of one and a half thousand people in the lowest division in slovakia give dulich hamlets a few seasons they'll be up to that sort of figure and they did it all by the way with a budget of one million pounds a yearly budget of one million pounds to achieve that champion's league success so you can do it yeah but how the mighty can fall as
0: well That's what we've established. Um, only two Norwegian teams have ever got through to Champions League football. And one of them are exceeding expectations this campaign already. I obviously can't talk about this campaign because it's still ongoing. But let's reflect on them 15 years earlier. I'm talking about Molde. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's Molde. Now, in Group A, I think it's fair to say, isn't it? When they got Fenerbahce away, Ajax at home, I don't think there was that much expectation this year for them. So at the moment, for them to be top of Group A as it stands, Celtic not happy either in the same group, um, it's looking pretty good this year. Let's see how they do. But what I do know about them is is a year that it went very well, which was 1999 to 2000. And there is one linking factor between this year and that year. There's probably more linking factors. But there's a player that's played in both. Daniel Berg-Hestad has started uh, every single game for the club back in 1999-2000. And he's also still part of the team that's got Champions League football this time. 41 years old. He's at the Ryan Giggs, isn't he? He is. 41. He's brilliant and um, the yeah, oldest the oldest registered player in the Europa League and to to date he, he's doing so brilliantly an absolute legend in his country so that's the link but let's go back to the 1999-2000 Champions League group stage where they, they squared off with big teams they went up against Porto they went up against Real Madrid um, they scored two goals along the way it was a real big outing for them in the Champions League and, um, and yeah a decade and a half later they're on, on their way to doing something similar um, Ajax Fenerbahce this player as well captain in his boyhood team it's a lovely story so I've picked them out Mulder are the ones to watch, but also from 1999-2000 had a year to remember.
2: Breaking news, everyone. Stand by your beds. This is Jim White. You can download the Offside Rule podcast this very day...
0: On next to Renovation Nation, um, which is my choice of topic name because of me renovating at the moment. Um, I'm being lazy. Um, Let's talk about England and how we would renovate the England team. I'm talking about right now. I'm not interested in what's been and gone. I'm interested in the best... England starting eleven we have at this minute. If we were to enter the Euros right away now, because this is all the build up to the Euros, mm. so obviously we have got some players that are cropped. They're not. Yeah. They're not doing great. Like people like Theo Walcott who've got injuries. So who would you pick right now if you had Roy Hodgson's mighty powers of selection? We need to debate
1: this. Mm. Let's start with goalkeeper. Mm. You go. Well, like all good renovation projects, there's always an original fireplace which you want to keep. You don't want to move it, and that's Joe Hart. <laughs> Joe Hart, at the moment, I would say his position is becoming more under threat from
0: Jack Butland. But I think at this at this stage in time, you'd still stick with Joe Hart, wouldn't yeah. you? In his prime,
2: really good age, 29 as well. I just think solid, goes about his business. Too big a tournament to throw in Jack Butland at this stage. But the good thing is you know that if something happens to Hart you don't worry about the second choice because the second choice is actually not far off first choice.
0: Uh, Back four then. Let's start with left back. Well, I have gone
2: for the starting 11 come the Euros, come next summer, come France, not just now because
0: obviously Shaw wouldn't be in there. Um, OK, well, let me throw a spanner in the works and say I'm going to throw a spanner in the works because this is my little thing with Luke Shaw. I agree with you, his form before this injury, he was definitely worthy of that spot. But, and this has happened before when he's had to train harder in pre-season training, is when he's not playing, he puts a bit of timber on, doesn't he? That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. It's healthy. <laughs> is True. he going to get it off in time? Yeah,
2: I think he'll be absolutely fine. And and Baines is another one. He's not in my starting 11. That was quite mm. a big non-inclusion for me. But mm. again, another... I've got Shaw in there who's been injured. And I know that Baines has been injured. He's just, he's lost it for me a little bit. So he's my biggest non-inclusion. Mm. I don't have Michael Carrick as well, but I'm sure we'll come to the midfield in, in a bit. But those are my two, two main names that I took out. And there are another two that I've brought in. And there. Replacing Liverpool for Manchester United, goodness me! I you know you'll you'll be you'll be happy though, Kate. Okay? You'll oh, okay. be happy,
1: yeah. Okay, fine. Um, I agree. If Shaw's fit, you need him um, in that left back position. I'm. I don't mind having a bit of inexperience actually at left or right back, especially if if you've got pacey players and Shaw's more than proved himself at centre back. We've got a bit of a fight for places here, haven't we? I've gone with Chris Smalling and Gary Cahill, but John Stones, I can't ignore. I have to say, I almost want to find a place for him. I'm tempted to play him out of position, but then that ignores the fact that he's excellent in that centre-back. I'm going to go for Smalling and Cahill, but I'm going to say that John Stones is there, ready to jump in if anything happens to either of those players or if Roy wants to mix it up a bit. See, I'm, I'm going Stones, definitely. I'm putting John Stones in. And at the moment, would you put Cahill in? Would Would you start with Cahill? I would for his experience. I think you need some experience in that back line and he's the one I've gone for. I've gone for Stones just purely, I guess. It's nice to have a bit of youth in there, isn't there?
2: And And, and my... There are problems with my midfield, which I will tell you about in a moment. So he's he's there just to help out.
0: I understand why Kate's saying, saying Gary Cahill. I'd be tempted to try out Stones and Smalling mm. for the rest of this year mm. and see if that can develop into a partnership. Mm. Because Cahill for me is below par. But I understand what you're saying with the experience head on. Um, but anyway, Stones would, would get a nod over one
1: of them. Yeah. Any Elka fans in here? Anyone going for no. Jags? No. No, me neither. That's no, fine then. No, no. Um, yeah. Right back. Right back. Um, I've got Nathaniel Klein. here. Yeah. Yes, yes. I'm in agreement with that. Absolutely. Uh,
0: midfield then. So you're, you're excluding
2: Michael Carrick? Yeah, I'm taking him out and, and I, I've got Milner in there. Mm, me too. Does such a good job. A bit like Carrick, goes about his business quietly, but actually he's come to the fore this season and... I, You'd think maybe when he comes out of the Manchester City set, I know he didn't play week in, week out, that he might not play as well. But I think he's playing brilliantly at Liverpool. And that's why I've also got Henderson in there as well, uh, provided that he is fit and everything's OK. Because having the two players who've played consistently all season um, in there together and I've got Sturridge as well. So he's going to start a bit of a four-three-three. 3 So I've got three
0: Liverpool players. I'm definitely having Ross Barkley in there and, um, and I'm really tempted to have John Joe Shelby. Um, I know that Swansea ha- haven't been brilliant, but I just think he's got moments of, of brilliance. He might not be in my starting. I'm tempted, I said, but I'd go for Ross Barkley over him.
1: Ross Barkley is a rare talent. I mean, there is no disputing how exciting a player he is. And we've really started to see that recently. So he's in there for me. Jack Wilshere. Yeah, yeah. Jack Wilshere, definitely uh, too. Um, And then I have looked at, hmm, well, this this is difficult. Milner, I have gone with Milner as well. Again, just peppering that experience throughout the squad. Steady hand. Then... You can look at Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, but I'm probably more inclined to go with three up front because we've got such a wealth of ability there, whether you're looking at Raheem Sterling, um, whether you're looking at whether Daniel Sturridge will be fit again. And I have to point out, Daniel Sturridge's game is so confidence-based, he might not admit this himself... But I, I, I'm, I'm certain of it. You know, his game's very confidence-based. If he comes back and performs for Klopp like we know he can, then there's no stopping him. He's definitely in. But if he struggles to come back from that injury, you've got to look at Danny Welbeck, I think. Well, no, no storage for me. Um, no way. He, he does
0: not consistently play enough. Um, same sort of reservations I have with Andy Carroll, who I think is a yeah, brilliant upfront threat. Yeah. But at the moment, Kane, Vardy, Sterling.
1: Kane, Vardy, Sterling. I get Harry Kane, I love Jamie Vardy I'm not sure I'd play Vardy and Kane together I I think Vardy can play behind Kane Mm. just behind him well,
2: I've gone for what you said, Kate. I have Barkley in there as well. My, my three are Henderson, Barkley and Milner. And then I've kept Wayne Rooney. I just think it's his last major tournament. I think he will kick on. I think the goals are going to come for him at Manchester United. If they don't, obviously he's not going to be playing next summer. We all, we all get that. But it's his last chance saloon. And I have him with Kane and Sturridge. That's what I've gone for.
1: A lot of people are backing Wayne Rooney, even in his current form. And I can't do that. There is no mistaking for me that in his current form, if he goes on the way he is, he's not going to terrorise defences. He's not the message that we want to put out there. It's entirely wrong for me. Look, you know, if the Greater Manchester Police are going to put out a tweet Mm -hmm. saying, alert, missing person, Wayne Rooney at Old Trafford, whenever there's a game, then there's something going on here. I don't think it's good to have him in the team. I get why he'd be good to be in and and around there, but will he really want to be the nearly person? Do you know, it's really tricky, but not for me. To play Contrary, though, he had a fantastic club season.
0: Play For England and then was below par, maybe he could do the opposite. Maybe he
1: could have a below par club season and be amazing for England. Look, he's probably going to beat his club's all time scoring record, isn't he, by the Euros? But for me, as I said, ultimately, he's not the player who's going to terrorise defences. So why are we starting off like that? I would be shocked though if Roy Hodgson. Doesn't include him. This is us, though. Forget Roy.
0: Forget Roy. This is us. This is us. It's our final say. So we've got our 11. I don't think we've quite agreed um, on our midfield and attack. But, hey, I think we've definitely got rid of some dead wood, Mm -hmm. haven't we? It's just a shame, isn't it, that we can't bring back some from the past. Mm. I noticed that you've got Paul Skulls and different people that, you know, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great?
2: (laughs) Follow us on Twitter at Offside Rule Pod and like our page on Facebook. Simply type in the offside rule. We get it. There's only
1: one of us.
0: So let's finish off with some pundit picking. Um, who would be a pundit anyway? I think it's a tough job. A little bit like being a manager. It's quite can be quite short-lived if you if you don't settle in straight away. Phil Neville.
1: Yeah, I think so. But look, it's a great gig for an ex-footballer. I just think some of them get it badly wrong with the fact that they seem to not get the entertainment value. Mm. Mm. Well,
0: given this debacle between mm. Terry and Robbie Savage, I thought we could do two things. We could ditch someone, a pundit that we don't really enjoy, explain why, mm. and we can bring someone in for the future, someone that we think might have a, a good light to shed on the game. Um I want to start with who we're going to drop.
2: So who drives you mad? I feel really bad because he's such a nice boy and I see him so often and he's lovely. And we pretty much share birthdays and we don't party together or anything, but he was born at the similar time of year as me, Michael Owen. Every time he trends on Twitter, I'm like, oh, what's he said now? If he was still playing, he'd probably be trending for playing so well. But it's just and I think if there was some excitement and real tone to his voice that would that would kind of bring it alive a little bit but the things that he says which is stating the obvious in a monotone kind of way you just you just want to kind of crawl under a little rock and just think come join me Michael crawl under this rock too and please don't Mm. come back out and I do feel really sad for him because he's tried so hard and put such a lot of effort in and thought right I'm going to give this a real good go I'm going to head over to BT I'm going to be the next Gary Neville he really believes in himself but just some of the stuff that he comes out with there are even things I watch a football match and there are things that I don't know, your Gary Neville's, Terry Henry's, your David James's, your Real Ferdinand's, your Mark Lawrences, your Hanson's, your Sooness's, just t- ticking a few boxes of different broadcasters, saying, oh, I would never have seen that. I didn't notice that. I didn't pick up on it. Michael Owen doesn't really tell me anything that I don't already know. Mm-hmm. And you want somebody to open your eyes to something that little bit different. Yeah. He kind of just states the obvious, like when he said Memphis Depay, oh, he looks like a footballer. Well, yeah. oh, what does that mean?
1: The thing is, even if he did say something groundbreaking, I would have switched off because I'm not excited by yeah. what he says. You'd have thought that that should have been cemented down. Rather than him just being there because he's Michael Owen, surely there has to be some service to us, the viewer. But on Twitter, he's so animated Hello. and
0: says so many great things. In in 140 characters, he can nail it. Yeah. But he, it's,
2: it's things like not translating well. You mentioned managers, and I kind of thought, oh, Roy Keane, manager. He'd be brilliant the way that he was on a pitch, disciplinarian, excellent players and not going to cross the line with him. They're going to respect him. That didn't work out. I thought, oh, well, actually, he kind of worked great for the entertainment value in press conferences. Oh, he'd make a great pundit. And that didn't quite work for him either because he's just miserable and opinionated and just not very nice. Michael Owen's the opposite. He's he's sort of almost too scared to voice too much of an opinion and tries to just, I'm not saying he sits on the fence, but he just goes about everything a little bit nicely.
0: Well, you've already named the one that I've chosen as someone who you learned something from. And I'm sure back in the day I did. I'm sure I learned a lot from him and I'm sure he had insightful things to say, but I'm just bored now. And I don't think he really, you know, when someone has been in a job a long time and you feel like they're not, trying as much as they're used to or it's just... It's maybe just paying for the mortgage or whatever it might be. And I feel like that with Mark Lawrenson. I do. I feel like I watch him. And when I do watch him, he's saying the same things that I heard Mm -hmm. him say about seasons and seasons ago.
1: He's just ultimately grumpy. I I mean, he's, he's in a foul mood most of the time. And he makes me watch football sometimes and ask myself why I'm watching, which is not the role of a pundit. You know, I agree that if it's a dire game, then maybe you make a joke about it, but you still have to find something about that game. You can't just be negative about it the whole way through and sound as if you've given up on it well that's probably why
0: i've chosen him as well because i'm quite a positive person and i don't like that there's always bringing things down like when when has he last circled out a player and said this is going to be someone brilliant and told us exactly the reasons why he will be Mm. i can't remember and and he's always on the line of defense as well isn't he so i enjoy personally hearing from pundits that are more attack based
2: yeah Or, or even pundits who just more newly out of the game so they can talk about players that they will have actually played against quite mm. recently. I find that more interesting. Mm. They might not make the best pundits, but or they might not be as eloquent or speak as well as a Mark And but actually they're offering us something that's new and that's fresh, like your Gary Neville's and Thierry Henry's. And
0: you're right, age is important because the Premier League has changed beyond recognition. Mm. And mm. it's so quick, it's so fast-paced now. And, and as well as that, you talk about the Premier League and, and the... Evolution of diving that's come into the league and things that weren't there years and years ago. You can't be, you know, from a refereeing point of view, all those sorts of things. You need more of a modern angle.
1: The the best pundits for me tell stories, you know. Tell, you know, even if they're commentating through action, I still want to hear a story. You know, I want to be invited into that game. And um, someone who doesn't hit the mark for me, and and this is a bit unfair of me. Um, I, I I've heard God bless him, Jimmy Bullard, do a couple of bits on Sky. It, it, yeah it doesn't work um it sounds more like ah yeah and he's got the ball and he's uh and he's yeah um he's got oh look he's running really fast <laughs> it's like yeah thank you jimmy <laughs> um perhaps uh, a life of commentary or punditry not best suited to jimmy Burlard, not at the moment anyway i was interested to hear that brendan rogers is apparently set to join be in sport as a pundit Okay, Uh, So we'll be hearing a lot of okay Uh from him. Not sure how he'll do. Danny Murphy. I like him, actually. And he suits that kind of BBC Match of the Day style where it's quick nuggets. But by golly gosh, it's the death stare. By golly gosh. What? (laughs) What? (laughs) It's the death stare, though, isn't it? You know, he says something really insightful and then he looks like he wants to punch you through the TV.
0: Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) I, I, I do know a little bit of what you're saying, but I, I quite enjoy his insight. He is good, but just leave the death stare off at the
1: end. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> uh, let's talk about good because... Um, pundits that we think will be very good in the future I think we need to see a few females I think that's part part of why we do this podcast and for my reckoning and at the moment I think the two best female pundits are Kelly Smith and Casey Stoney Mm. I think they're both brilliant and having watched a lot of the footage and them doing the women's football show I think they should be let loose on the men's game
1: they could have a show couldn't they the Casey and Kel show it's perfect Mm. um also big shout out for Mia Hamm as well she's as rude as a bucket of dirty water but she she's, was excellent during the summer for the Women's World Cup. Straight to the point, German, no messing, bags of personality, bags of humour as well. I think she'd be brilliant sat next to Mark Lawrenson. <laughs> Match of the day, I don't think he'd know what hit him. I bet she doesn't say golly gosh.
0: <laughs> dirty water. How rude is a bucket of
2: dirty water? I don't know. Oh they're all coming
0: out tonight. Love it.
2: Love it. Um, I, yeah, I, I'll throw any Aluko in there as well. I know she's had a bit of a chance on match of the day. She's still got a lot of, a lot of a way to go, but I think it's great that she was involved in match of the day too. Um, alongside Kevin Colban, who's coming through as well at the BBC. I think he's average. Um, uh, I love Graham Souness, I loved the argument that he had with Thierry Henry when they were discussing the Arsenal-Liverpool game, it was absolutely mm. brilliant, well it wasn't an argument, he just put Thierry in his place and Thierry's yeah. there, he's got the swagger he's yeah. like, oh, people praising me like Gary Neville, he's not as good as Gary yeah. Neville I love him and he's great at Sky mm. and he's he's, he's you know, he's, he's a really nice person when he's around and, and he's good at what he does but he's still got a bit of learning to do but I just loved how Suey put him in his place and isn't afraid to just say it as it is, it's brilliant, but Whilst I will praise the likes of Graham Sooners, we definitely need younger, fresher boys out of the game. Um, And in contrast to that, Sir Alex Ferguson, fresh out of management, I would just love to hear him co-commentate or be in a studio for the World Cup or the Euros and just absolutely say it as it is, as he has done in his books, which have
0: been quite surprising. Yeah, I might not want to see that if it's an England game. (laughs) But yeah, and I'm going to pick out Robert Green. Rob Green I, I, I think he'll be a good pundit in the future I, I very much like goalkeepers as well being pundits they're often, they're often brainy aren't they goalkeepers they're often very eloquent and um, having interviewed him a couple of times I think I think he's got a lot to offer so I'd like to see him
1: Theo Wilcott Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain other names that we've talked about um, also Andros Townsend lovely guy pretty eloquent I think he'd be a good future bet not sure about Jermaine Genis yet still needs a little bit of um, oh. maturing for me yeah. And I loved how when he kept saying Salford, (laughs)
2: Salford, instead of Salford, that a couple of people, didn't they tweet in and and told him and he was verbally, okay. (laughs) I can't remember who it was. Somebody quite well-known had tweeted in and um yeah he was like okay i'll, I'll change how i yeah, say it for the yeah. second half he was like it's Salford isn't yes. it, it like, yeah. yes nice
0: one nice one germaine well thank you very much uh, that brings nicely round to a full conclusion this podcast episode 14 uh, please get downloading tell your friends tell your family uh, thank you very much to continental tires getting us to the game safely they are a sponsor for this one and we will return next week and we'll have another podcast for you out next thursday <laughs> yes! oh, oh,
2: oh! The offside rule, we get it. Is brought to you by Continental Tires. Sports Social Podcast Network.